You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass. I'm Hayden Dow here with the Brennan Patrick. Brennan, you, uh, you know, this is a Flesh and Blood podcast, but just want to spotlight something quickly. You've just recorded the first episode and just released the first episode of a new project that you're working on uh, for Marvel Snap. Everyone knows probably if you listen to Arsenal Pass that Brennan's a bit of a snapper. He's a, a serial snapper. He's been into the game since kind of, I think you were in the beta, right? So, or whatever the earlier form of the game was. Uh, how's it been working on a new project? How, how's that been going for you? That's good. Yeah, so I did. Um, I launched a Marvel Snap podcast with KM Best, KM Best MS on Twitter. He's a popular streamer for the game, um, sort of in, uh, known for hitting rank 500 infinite. Uh, I think it was in the Black Tiger season. What's the Flesh and Blood? Warriors of Wakanda. Uh, Flesh and Blood would be like, there really isn't. It's, it's just like an obscenely high rank that you would get to. Um, that takes an immense amount of time. And it's because there's like this weird system, Marvel snap with hidden MMR and ranks, but um, yeah, it's been good. It was, it was kind of a learning experience starting it from scratch. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's pretty stressful. There's just a lot of things that need to get done. A lot of like little logistics stuff. Um, All the branding is a hectic. And then, yeah, just making sure it comes out perfect. Uh, That was, um, it was a process, but I think we got there. So I'm really proud of it. Um, It's called, the podcast is called The Snapshot, so it's youtube.com slash um, at the underscore snapshot. Um, it's on Podbean and will be on everything else pretty soon as we get approved. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm happy that it's it's finally launched, Hayden. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, little ode to your flesh and blood roots there, The Snapshot. I like that. I like that name. Big fan of that. But of course, Brendan, you know, it's a flesh and blood podcast, so we will move on. But glad to hear that. You know, it's gone well, and I'm looking forward to listening after we record this, actually. Episode 91, ProQuest is on the horizon. We've got callings coming up. I believe the first Battle Harden is happening next weekend as well. So January, February going to be packed full of flesh and blood, classic constructed. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the decks over the next three weeks that we ourselves are considering for ProQuest and for calling season Battle Hardens. The decks that we think are... The premier, the sort of the decks that we would be looking to in this in this meta. We're going to talk all things from you know why to play these decks, the strengths, how to play them. We're going to go through a couple of deck list options and uh, just talk all things that are these heroes. And we are starting off with the Ice Queen herself. We're talking Icelander this week, Brendan. Now, Icelander, obviously, very interesting hero in its its history and and where it's come from. Obviously, a world champion hero in the hands of Michael Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, and in a quite interesting spot heading into this meta because. We'll get to this, but if you look at sort of win rate data and things on Talishar, not the most successful hero and hasn't had the best season. We yeah. talked a few weeks ago, we talked about Dynasty meta and, uh, you know, it has been a top five hero, but only only just through these Battle Hardens and uh, PTI events so far. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, if, I re- if I recall correctly, I, I think it's just, I just really want to uh, sort of zoom in on that point because it is interesting. We will get into it in the rest of the pod, but Icelander is a deck that pretty much since inception has not converted on the macro. Um, and yet we do see players like Michael Hamilton, like Howling Mines, who took it initially uh, to, I can't remember if it was the nationals or what it was, but there has been a handful of players that have had an immense amount of success with that deck. And then it just seems that, you know, on the aggregate, it just hasn't done too well. So the question is like, is it actually 
the best deck? Is it powerful enough? And is it something that you could potentially pick up and bring to the pro quest? Mm. Yeah, I think Scott Howling Minds had a, a good showing at Lille with the deck actually, and mm. uh, did a, a deck tech that was seen by quite a few people and and picked up from there. And the deck has just evolved, which we'll talk about. But yeah, it's it's one that we also. I guess the other thing as well is maybe you aren't planning to play Icelander for this pro quest season. We are going to talk about ways to target Icelander as well, weaknesses, things that we're looking at with potential decks to combat Icelander as well. So we'll, we'll give both sides of the coin. When it comes to Icelander in this pod, Brendan, last week in Flesh and Blood, have you played any Flesh and Blood? Have you started your ProQuest preparations? I know we were just talking off air before we recorded the pod that you're off to your first ProQuest next weekend, it looks like. I've uh, got the same. Yeah, so I'm like 99% on Icelander, to be honest. It is a bit of a comfort pick to me. The things that would take me off that deck are not... Uh, it, it's funny because I was looking at... I was, this thought came to me when I was writing the section of its, um, its good matchups and its bad matchups. And I think you, when you think about Icelander, you pretty much only focus on its bad matchups because they are so few. But if the meta is comprised you know, of you know, a lot of... Um, you know. Dromai or something like that, then you don't play Icelander. So it is a meta call and it, it is quite variable and I have no idea what to expect here in ProQuest Season 1 in Dallas. So I'm probably going to be bring Icelander, but if somebody whispers in my ear and tells me that everybody's playing Dromai, uh, yeah, I might not play it. And have you started your preparations? Have you been getting any games of Flesh and Blood in? So no games yet, to be honest. No games. Uh, but Icelander's deck, I feel like I can pick up and kind of just play. I mean, so much... So many reps on that deck in in the lead up to the World Championships with our testing team, as well as in Blitz, which that deck is so similar to the constructed deck that the kind of the way you play it translates a bit. Ooh, interesting. Let's we'll get into that. Well, not, not the cantrip. Not the cantrip. Yeah, okay, not interesting. Because I version. think I think even kind of structurally the way we saw it played at Worlds is quite quite different. Not just from ourselves, but from others as well. Uh, anyway, let's get into some news, Brendan. Pretty, I put in my notes here, just all quiet on the fronts of Wraith. You know, it's been holiday season. We've just celebrated the new year. Happy happy new year, everyone. Uh, so not a lot. No ELO update yet, Brendan. No uh, more news on PT1. No more news on season one for uh, the competitive season and the OP season for Flesh and Blood post James's announcement pre-Christmas. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping we get some... Some more information next week. We're a week out from the ProQuest season starting. And unfortunately, people don't yet know how or where they're going, first of all, if they want a ProQuest, how they can qualify outside of a ProQuest. And uh, we don't have any ELO updates heading into that weekend. So I, I'm really hoping that, you know, the uh, the team at LSS will be, you know, I'm sure hard at work once they get back on board this week and next week. And we'll have some, some things to talk about next week. Yeah, I believe that they are off. Um, they're on like mandatory holiday leave or something like that. I think it's still the 9th. Um, I'm also eagerly waiting because I'm waiting. I'm trying to get in contact with them uh, about the upcoming competitive season. But yeah, the that's they'll be busy next knowing, week. Then. <laughs> yeah, not knowing if you're you're locked for the upcoming PT. Like, let's say you don't have a PTI, you could be locked on Elo. You don't know. Mm-hmm. That's where this. That's where the bad situation is, right? People go to these pro quests, um, or maybe they just have to make the 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 bet to not go to them just in case they are locked. Um, because, you know, if you were right on the line and you did end up just kind of punting one match in a pro quest and lost that, that would be a bit of a feels bad if you worked so hard in 2022. Yeah, it's hard to know because the constructed board will shift through these pro quests. So it's hard to say, you know, I'm 45th, do I hedge my bets, etc. Mm-hmm. if it's top 50. But where it might be harder is maybe you could qualify in limited. Maybe we're going to see another split format PT. And also, we don't even know if limited qualifies you for 
you know, what ELO will qualify you for this PT. I mean, previously it hadn't been ELO up until the World Championships, right? It had only been XP. Is that was that a World Championships thing? We don't, we really don't have concrete answers on what will qualify you for uh, Pro Tour One Twenty Twenty Three. So, you know, maybe let's say you're on the limited leaderboard, you're you're top twenty, you went into Worlds and you went three three or something, and you don't know. Maybe you will be in side qualification. Maybe you won't be, and you're sat here thinking, ProQuest is selling out. I need to maybe I want to fly to a progress or I want to drive and I'm trying to organize cars and all these things and and at the moment you know you you're on the outside looking and trying to work out what you should do that that's a really tough spot to be in I think because in theory there's nothing that's going to shift that limited leaderboard uh, if that is what will qualify some people so people should ideally be able to make some decisions on that but anyway I'm sure uh, the team will be pretty busy there at at LSSHQ next week and we will we will get some answers I would think by the end of next week before we get to progress season whether that be all things from PC information, ELO update, qualification rules, etc., I'd be surprised and a bit disappointed if we didn't. I'll hold my breath. Oh. <laughs> it's only a week. <laughs> You'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise, yeah, no, no big news to talk about. We do, as I say, season's about to kick off next weekend, though. There is battle hardens happening uh, around the world this month, including in Belgium. Uh, there is one at SCG Con. Is that right? Happening next week, Brendan? North America, uh, yeah, so not this weekend, but the weekend after that, there's one in Jersey, um, SCG Con, yeah, there you go. Outside of that, we have a few videos that have gone up in the past two weeks on the YouTube channel for Flesh and uh, for Arsenal Pass. We've got an ultimate guide to Kano that's up there. There is also a dash deck tech for a, I was about to say, pleasant barrel, it's not, it's a Hanavi Blaster uh deck using the more powerful tools from Dynasty into a very, very aggressive shell, which you can go and check out. And uh, shout out to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons. If you're not a Patreon and you do want to join this month as well, uh, we have made the decision that at the $4 tier for the month of January only, everyone at the $4 tier gets access to all of our content for January that goes up on the Arsenal Pass Patreon page. This won't give you access to the backlog. So if you do want to see the backlog of things from December and prior, you would need to be at at the the next tier. But if you're at the entry level tier, our $4 tier, uh, you get access to all content this month on the Patreon. Uh, Yes, just to... A way to say thank you and uh, that's there for this month brendan anything you wanted to add for news roundup around wraith before we head into a good command and cookout question actually yeah um i i don't think i should say the name of the person i'm doing a deck tech with quite yet uh but i do think that people will be pleasantly surprised uh, this player did make quite a name for themselves on the in, in the 2022 circuit to say the least uh, very very consistent cool so another deck tech coming up this month and i'm guessing we'll have a, a cyborg guide and everything with that deck tech as well brendan yep cool uh before the end of the month awesome commander cookout time commander cookout question this week comes from yeah, a regular who's uh, asked a few questions on the show before the tickler foundry coming via the arsenal pass discord and uh marco's question is what are your thoughts on fables being legal and constructive play with michael hamilton including heart of Fiendale, in his Icelander list at Worlds. It seems that the card is powerful enough to be played in high-level events. Eye of Ophidia and Library of Solana are also incredibly powerful fables that have seen competitive play. These cards have no lower rarity equivalents, and the only other option is running a different card entirely should LSS change the print strategy or legality surrounding fables. Now, since this question as well, Brendan, we saw actually Heart of Fiendale spike in, in price as well on the mm-hmm. secondary market uh, post Michael Hamilton's win as Icelander sort of saw a, a mini surge in popularity following that which makes a lot of sense right it's uh it's the highest rarity of a, of a card <clears throat> or one of the highest rarities of a card in a in a world championship winning deck what, what are your thoughts i mean obviously since then we've seen dynasty release with 
a very different fable to what we have in previous sets with a, a Commander Conquer reprint uh, with an old mm. art foil treatment. Yeah. So it's interesting because it seems like it's a direct, it's directly related to price, right? Like there is some sort of number that is, exceeds where it becomes not okay. And it starts to put pressure on players that they don't, they don't like just if you think about it in theory, right? The fable slot being as rare as it is, as rare as it is, we wouldn't want those cards to be overwhelmingly powerful, like a you know, like a command and conquer, or you know, a Fiendel Spring Tunic at Fable, something like that, where you know you you actually couldn't get your hands on it. I do think that most of the gems are, they do. <laughs> I think they fall under the the original philosophy of of gems, right, and of fables, and that's that. You know, they're they're playable uh, for specific decks and specific strategies, but overall you wouldn't miss them if you didn't have them. Um, and I think that that applies to almost everything except Heart of Fiendolf. I have Aphidia, pretty good card, but I think it's used most in things like Kano, and it, you can definitely sub it out, to be honest. It's, it's got a huge downside. Uh, but Heart of Fiendolf is, is a serious card, right? Especially as you go into the longer games. Mm-hmm. If you're gaining two to three life, like that is a massive advantage over your opponent. It is a bit niche in terms of like, what kind of matchups it's gaining you that kind of life in. And in those matchups specifically, your life total is not being pressured as much as it would be in sort of like an aggro matchup. But yeah, I do think that fables in constructed decks being very expensive and very popular, if they're integral to a, to a deck strategy, it's a problem. I don't think we're there quite yet. Yeah, Heart has always had this surrounding because I remember in the Welcome to Wraith meta, the first ever constructed meta, Heart was part of a limited card pool, and, and it's still a powerful card in a format that went to second, third, fourth, fifth cycle. So that card actually probably was at its peak then. I think obviously you see it in a deck like Michael's where you, you play Mirror Matches, you play against Guardians, you probably see that card a couple of times and, and it does do work for you. Um, it's yeah. I, one thing I will say is I think the shift to something like the Done for Dynasty, I think the Dynasty Fable mm-hmm. is the most successful so far in terms of what I think trying to do with that piece which i think is taking on feedback about the power of the gems like you say i heart um shard etc and even library and putting that into a card that has this fantastic collectible value to it right in the form of this command and conquer and looks awesome and people want it to play in their decks as well but isn't restrictive you know there is alternatives to that card whereas like Tecla Foundry saying, there isn't there isn't alternatives to I have a Fidia in Kano that does the same thing. Yeah, sure, you can. I think not having that card in the deck is not that great a loss. That is a card that you know bricks you on Kano turns. It is a card that doesn't defend you. It does come at a cost for sure. I do also think I has been underexplored. I think there's decks that probably could have utilized I and haven't in the past. I was always surprised not to see it more in you know things like Azalea and and stuff like this. Um, I know the deck that. Sasha worked on a lot for or a bit for the world championships and blitz with Livia utilized I really well you know things like this so that that is interesting I do yeah I, again I, I think we've we've crept on the edges like you say and I think at points library I and heart have been in positions where I wouldn't want them to be as a as a competitive player and I'm glad that we haven't stepped too far over those lines and seen that you know heart just be essential to play because games are super grindy that two or three life matters so so much because uh, i think that could be detrimental but i yeah moving forward i think if lss continue with more of the collectible nature of it 
I think that's going to be a win for players. And it could even... What's your thoughts on what if they did this? What if they had a card that was more around collectible in nature but wasn't a direct reprint but maybe wasn't legal for constructive play? Do you think that just doesn't really fit with the game or...? I mean, I think that would be that would be fine. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a frog in my throat. Um, the fable being a sort of cosmetic upgrade to your deck and almost having a purely aesthetic function, I think is a good a good sort of spot for the fable, right? Um, because it, be, it it will still derive value from being that chase card and being something that players who want to spend the money will put in their decks, but it's not gonna hurt players that can't afford to get it and um i don't think it will affect tournaments negatively because of card availability so i like that i really like what they did in dynasty i would actually be in favor for a changing of the print strategy right so maybe moving this if they have other gems designed maybe moving them down in rarity and potentially keeping that fable spot for something more cosmetic like the like the command and conquer i do say that without considering the secondary market uh, implications at all and the hit to player confidence that it might have. But in an ideal world, I want people to have full access to cards because, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the most annoying things about Flesh and Blood in, in speaking of Welcome to Wraith was when people would complain about card availability because mm. uh, it was rampant back then uh, and it's you know, really toned back from, uh, from where it used to be. But um, yeah, I, in the ideal world, all players sort of have reasonable access to these cards, so we can play at the at play tournaments with the highest competitive integrity, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just I have cards that you don't. Yeah. Do you think LSS maybe already did this? Do you think maybe the um, the Bolton legendary was meant to be the fable? It kind of has this like fable look mm. to it. The uh, I was trying to find it. It's called the, the spirit of Erina. Like it, it kind of looks like it could be a fable, right? Like it's a it's a legendary card that goes into a deck. It I don't know. The artwork kind of struck me like that as well, but maybe it never, wasn't even meant to be. But I, I just had this like when I first saw the card, I was like, "Oh, I, that, that could be a fable," you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think I wouldn't like the idea of cards not being legal. But yeah, it's, it's like, a fine uh, line. Just, to walk. just just banning just banning the fables, I think would. Oh no! I, yeah, yeah. Net, yeah, it would it would be a net negative to the game. I think that they do add a bit of. Um, they had a bit of value to the constructed format, right? They are unique cards. Yeah. There's cool design, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well balanced as well, I think. They're all well balanced. Um, although it's a fine line to walk, right? But you want to be excited when you open one of these fables, and I don't think you know Alice's don't want to take that away from people. So, um, yeah, we'll see. So I guess our verdict is okay, but there's a, a line to walk, and we like what has been done with Dynasty. That's that's our answer. Yeah. <laughs> Dynasty model is the best so far, yeah. for sure. All right, Brendan, let's move through main topic of the pod. We are talking about decks to play for ProQuest over the next three weeks. We are starting with the one that Brendan is likely to play next week. I probably might play this next week uh, as well. I have one ProQuest next week. That is Icelander. It's a deck that we both think is very powerful. It's a deck that we said at the top of the show, obviously won the World Championships. Then post-Dynasty has had a bit of a tougher run, hasn't seen the same results as, say, Dash has. Uh, has was about top five, I think it was number five when we looked at the Dynasty sort of meta breakdown of events so far when it came to the battle hardened scene and the PTI events that had happened so far. So, you know, it is still a top deck in this format, no doubt about it. But there's a lot of uh, caveats that I think, which we're going to talk through, but we're also going to talk through strength, strength weaknesses, how to target this deck, why you should play it, why you shouldn't play it, etc. But first of all, Brendan, I want to start with just 
talk us through, you know, you are known as a bit of the historian of the pod. Talk <laughs> us through a little bit of the history of Icelander because it's obviously came out at the same time as Fi and Dramai and Fi really dominated the kind of an initial part of the meta, obviously pre-Leal, at Leal, even at the World Championships, you know, a lot of the, the focus was on Fi. Yeah, I think that Fi has, or sorry, Icelander has one of the more interesting histories, even though it's a, it's a young, it's sort of a newer hero to Flesh and Blood. And I'll start off, when, when, it came, when it released, it was not super powerful. It was, at least it was not seen as super powerful. A lot of the lists that were coming out were very janky. They didn't feel extremely cohesive. And it was like, what am I supposed to be doing with this hero? Because we already knew that Icelander could sort of weave attack actions into the deck. We saw some successful Blitz decks back in uh, the Viserai Blitz meta pre-dynasty um, uh pre yeah, pre, exactly. pre-uprising sorry pre-uprising yeah have a little bit of success so we, so we knew it was possible but nobody was really making it work from what i saw so the first breakout icelander deck list i saw was from howling minds he did sort of a longer form video on youtube and it was a spellblaze list right and it did have quite quite a combo package um and that means that it was running the freezing points i think it had a couple of weather veins like it was really there to destroy <laughs> the old hymns uh, and have a good-ish and good enough matchup into the aggro decks. And uh, yeah, it was relatively successful. It was kind of the first streamlined deck of Icelander that we saw. It sort of transitioned soon into the, uh, after that into uh, Michael Hamilton winning U.S. Nationals with Bolander, um, you know, getting the sort of two-card big attack actions, highest expects value uh, possible on these cards um and you won u.s nationals in in convincing fashion i believe so that deck after um after he won that tournament everybody had access to it but we saw what we talked about at the top of the show was icelander just wasn't really converting a lot of people picked up the deck tried it out just didn't have a lot of success and you know going into that battle hardened circuit here in the united states uh, like i was at most of those battle hardens and a lot of people were bringing icelanders to the, to those tournaments and um, they weren't making it to top eight it seemed like we were back into more of an aggressive meta or at least a meta that was evolving quite a bit right we saw azalea creep in we saw jermise being played uh, just a lot of stuff you could be facing on the day but the icelander deck that looked so dominant so uh, so recently at u.s nationals was not was not running the tables whatsoever Fast forward to the World Championships, Michael Hamilton brings a deck list that is almost the same to his uh, original U.S. Nationals deck list and wins in convincing fashion. There was another player in top eight who actually literally net decked his U.S. Nationals list Viet and fam. played it. Yep, Viet, Viet Fam and played it card for card. So we saw Icelander really assert dominance on the world stage, despite um, the macro data saying that it wasn't doing so well and it wasn't converting yeah i remember at at lille uh there was there was some icelander i know dante del fico uh working at the wolfpack working with wolfpack at the time was playing icelander a few of their their team were playing icelander actually um but the thing that really held it down and this kind of was the narrative was prism right like prism Prism. was the barrier to entry for icelander and then there was a lot of conversation prism hit living legend is icelander gonna be the best deck in the format it preys so much on you know, at the time, it looked like this, just, just the disruption deck that had a combo. It was like disruption combo. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And you talked about it with like freezing points and stuff. Then we, heading into the national season, there was like these weather vein builds that really looked to combo these big turns and kill people from like 30 health and stuff like that with like back-to-back combo turns. Um, and then, you know, it was like, well, actually, Fire's playing belittle and can deal with it and it's so powerful. Exactly, and yeah. even like Briar at the time wasn't having as difficult a problem into 
those those decks as it, it would now uh so i think that transition happened but yeah like you say the interesting piece was like the the data wasn't there it reminded me a little bit of prism and previous metas of like showing up but not converting as well until it just wins an event uh which is exactly kind of what happened <laughs> yeah you really can't overstate uh the influence of prism on icelander uh, back in like pro tour leal timeline like it absolutely got destroyed by icelander um, it wasn't that deck wasn't running attack actions at the time, um, and the it around, wasn't right? a list that was, Prism yeah. destroyed Icelander. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Prism <laughs> destroyed Icelander. Yeah, definitely not Icelander destroying Prism, but it was basically an auto loss for the spell based Icelander list. Um, even for Michael Hamilton's deck, if Prism still existed, I don't think that Michael Hamilton would have a or that list would have a reasonably good matchup against yeah. it. It would have more game. Don't get me wrong, but it would still struggle. So Prism exiting uh, via Living Legend is really what sort of took the chains off the Icelander deck. Yep. So that I guess a bit of where Icelanders come from. And let's talk a little bit about strengths. You know, why play Icelander? What are the things that are going for it? You know, maybe you're listening to this pod, you have a bit of an understanding of Icelander, but you want to know more about the, the ins and outs of, of Icelander. What other things that make you want to want to play this hero effectively and i think we can start we can just kind of riff off these brennan but i think the disruption package is like got to be number one it's the most people i think in the past seen i uh you know ultim or lexi is the most disruptive decks and, and lexi might still be to an extent the most disruptive deck but obviously that revolves on hitting with attack actions right to get these on hit effects mm-hmm. in the form of iceland on the other hand you've got so many angles of attack with your disruption playing a ice blue you know whether that be something like a blizzard which has its own disruption effect but just giving people frostbites keeping a deck that keeps channel like frigid round the best of any deck because it can play it on its opponent's turn pitch a card to something like crown on uh, to coronet peaks around your own turn and then keep it around and your opponent could be facing channel like frigid for three turns like that is three i've seen it for four turns like you know that is there's a crazy amount of channel like frigid disruption so the disruption package that is installed in iceland and naturally and also these disruption cards hypothermia channeling frigid blizzard um you know i know people play arctic castration for a time brain freeze people have played obviously into agridex these are also your blues these are your these are your freaking resources (laughs) yeah the the floor on a lot of these um these disruption cards is actually like a blue a blue resource cards and a lot of them block for three which is just insane it it feels like when you're playing icelander you have um sort of the basis of a mid-range deck and the disruption just kind of makes its way on there right it's just like icing on the cake like it, it you would be choosing those blues even if they didn't do those things in some cases right that is a bit of an extreme but mm. they fit so nicely into what you're already doing and the fact that they can uh you know signif- help you significantly against these aggro decks and then have another multi-purpose to combo out slower decks like control decks and fatigue decks it, it's really a question of like what does this deck not do right um but if you are looking for a deck that is going to have access to disruption it's going to be forcing the opponent to you know play around that and icelander is the best version of that i believe that exists right now yeah the 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 big strength when it comes to that you just kind of hit it on it i think is the fact that a lot of disruptive decks uh in in the past flesh and blood have been naturally reactive their disruption has come through more so, you know, Ice React as the ability on Ultim or Earth React, or they've come through their defense reactions and having abilities attached to those. Icelander is very different and is a bit more like Lexi, I think, in this way, that it has disruption, but is offensive disruption as well. It's progressing its game plan. It gets to play a tempo-based game plan while also presenting disruption, which 
you know, I think if you're trying to be a reactive deck, often that can pigeonhole you into the situation where you're trying to react to the meta, whereas Icelander can be disruptive and not have to react to the meta, which is, I think, a massive strength of, of why this hero is, is done so well and is a hero that's going to continue to do well. So Icelander is a good example because um, Icelander... Pretty much, you could probably say is more consistent than Icelexi, and it has a great matchup into Guardians and slow decks and fatigue decks. So if if Icelexi just inherently destroyed Oldham or something like that, or the guard, you know, these Guardian decks, these slower decks, then Icelexi would be an amazing pick probably most of the time. Um, but Icelander is all of that. Plus, it's more consistent than having arrows in your deck and having non-attack actions like. Yeah, Icelander really, it has so much going for it in terms of that. So the, the big part of that, and this is another strength I want to talk about, is for Icelander, your end game revolves around permanence. And permanence and flesh and blood increase consistency. You know, you look at playing a dash pistol plan, it's like, what do you do every turn? Pew, 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 right? Like, it is, you're consistently able to do the same thing. What are you able to do with an energy potion in Kano? It increases your ability to activate your combo exponentially. And it's no different for Icelander. Getting Insidious Shills, uh, Amulets Down, Frost Hexes, these are permanents that contribute to your endgame. Whereas Lexi's kind of problem where it kind of wants to be disruptive, obviously, is and and also has a really big endgame, has potential to do something like Rain Raises, Three of a Kind, and just have a massive 30 damage turn. Problem is, is those cards need to be drawn, and need to be drawn at the right time, or set up in the right time, and you can't just sit them on the board, which you can do with Amulet of Ice, Insidious Chill, Frost Hex, like we just talked about. So that is another big a big strength that Icelander has for it. If you're looking for something that has a really solid endgame, Icelander kind of is that deck. Yeah, and a point for me with the Icelander deck is value. So Icelander is a mid-range deck. Um, obviously, it can set up the anti-combo stuff, and it does have a lot of disruption and controlling aspects for aggro, but you are pumping damage when you're playing Icelander. You're putting out significant amounts of damage while mitigating a lot as well. Um, and I don't, for, at least for a long time in Flesh and Blood, there weren't a lot of decks that sort of existed like that. We were in that hyper-aggro, hyper-defensive stage for a long time. The meta has opened up a bit since uh, Prism exited the format, but if you're looking for a quote-unquote mid-range deck and i think that icelander would be the best way that you could define that in the current meta and it would be the most powerful version of it yeah it's like a tempo based mid-range deck yeah Temp- I think it's probably tempo a, yeah. Is a good yeah a good word yeah. great word is tempo it's like i mean aether ice fan if you if you ask me the definition of tempo in in flesh and blood i would just point to aether ice fan it's a good like, tempo perfect card. Example. <laughs> especially <laughs> if you've got an insidious chill or an amulet out that you you feel like using on that turn um yeah, the, the one thing I do want to point out as well is you talked about value, and that is very true, you know, especially with the attack action build that we've seen popularized. You know, two cards for eight, that is great value. Mm-hmm. Does The deck does suffer from some of the issues that Wizard can suffer from, right, which is underrate damage. So if the Aether Ice Vein has no haunted effect, it's two cards for five, right? Like that is, you know, so whether you can't fuse it or the opponent can prevent the five damage, that is now, you know, you're looking underrate. So there is there is aspects of Icelander that can suffer from that, and we'll, we'll talk more about that, I think, as we get into, you know, kind of ways to attack and, and potentially be Icelander. But the other thing as well is the strength, while the strength comes from the values of what you can do, you know, keeping a channel fridge around for three turns, that's a, there's a lot of value in that, right? Because mm. if your opponent has to pay, so they get the Frostbite, plus they have to, you know, maybe they want to try and play three or four cards over that turn, it's five resources they're looking at there, right? So you've minimum traded back your 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 two cards for their two cards, but also you've disrupted any kind of big turns they could have. So you've you've traded up on value, which is great. 
But if that channel eight fridge just stays around for one turn, you know, you play it on your opponent's turn and then you can't keep it around on your own turn, it's probably not, it's probably undervalued, which we'll get into kind of, I guess, the, the weaknesses of Icelander from that standpoint. But it's not all mm. positives is kind of what I want to point to. And, and understanding the value of Icelander, while there is a lot of value to be gained, I, do, I think you do have to understand it, which I've got, you know, yeah. you've got the point here that it is a high skill ceiling deck. There's a lot of avenues and lines of play. And if you like that kind of thing, then Icelander is definitely a deck for you. Yeah, so the last ones for me to round out the strengths are that it's a split damage. It's attack actions and arcane. It's like for a long time, you know, you at least around like PT Lille and then after uh, Prism came out of the format, if you were playing Icelander, your opponents would sideboard differently most games, right? There was this like some people played three, some people played two, some people played one. You know, nowadays most people just play the one arcane barrier, depending on the deck. But you know, the aggro decks will play one. It's been a bit more streamlined. But that split damage, ask your opponent a question before the game even starts. It's just harder to deal with than only physical damage or potentially on, only arcane damage. So it's a huge upside for me. Um I think that the last strength for me in terms of Icelander is that you know, it does have the wizard downside of playing below rate, but also has the wizard upside of taking two turns during the game yeah. at whatever point you want to. And that is so freaking powerful because if you have a deck that's orientated off value and you're keeping even rem you're keeping remote parity with your opponent and you have the trump card of taking two turns uh, when the life totals get low enough, it's so freaking good. Like when you play Icelander, you will probably pop your storm shadows early at some point being new to the deck. And you'll realize you're like, oh, this is meant to close out the game. Unless there's some extreme yeah. circumstance where you're disrupting something your opponent um, is basically gaming the entire game on, say like a CMH. But other than that, like your ability to kill your opponent from like 15-ish um, after you going main phase and then playing the card out of your arsenal on their turn, activating Storm Tribes, playing another card, it's so strong. Um, and I think that if Icelander didn't have that, it wouldn't feel nearly as powerful. But no, that almost feels like the, the unfair part, right? It is. I mean, you start at 36 life, right? Which you're like, yeah, you know, this is this is somewhat of a disadvantage. Although it's not when you're playing Scar for Scars and Wounded Bulls and Fendos <laughs> Flying Spirit, you can make that to an advantage. But the thing is as well is you get back-to-back -back turns at the end of the game with Storm Striders. Can your Storm Striders make up more than four damage? 100% yes. Every, basically every single time you're going to make up more than four damage with that Storm Striders. So that Storm Striders is worth so, so much. It wipes out that differential in life and it gives you this ability to grind the game out to a standpoint where you you basically have inevitability especially with these permanents on the board that we just talked about like amulets of ice and cities chills yeah. frost texas all this permanent permanents are just so ridiculous and the fact that they almost happen organically as you play the icelander deck right like you play the amulet out of your arsenal on your opponent's turn and you swing uh you swing your mm. your want your moon with the redundant card you had in your hand you pitch that as a resource card um the fact that you can just do that and then those pieces sit on the board for the rest of the game it, it's crazy right because if you're playing something like ice like so you're like okay i want to beat this control deck now i have to pitch stack i have to be really careful with how 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 i use my threats and i have to set up this really complicated end game with with icelander it feels like it happens pretty like pretty organically as you play the game right you're setting up the instant chills you're setting up the amulets and then you really just have to stack the um <clears throat> sorry i forget the the card the the combo ice card, eternal. basically. Ice Eternal. You just have to stack the Ice Eternals with a few Ice cards. It, it comes around. It almost gu almost guaranteed. And it just feels it feels like you have to work uh, significantly less than For a lot sure. of these other decks that are trying to, to set up uh, beat games. Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's because of the permanent skin. I mean, the Ice Eternal endgame is... We'll, we'll get into playing the deck, I think. But honestly, the Ice Eternal endgame is like... 
sometimes a necessity, very often irrelevant, to be honest. You're just in yeah. the game with Stormstriders and just pushing damage back on your opponent's turn or a well-timed Ice Vein with an amulet and then on your opponent's turn their shield's down and you just kill them from 8 to 10 life or whatever it is. Like, it's... Yeah, like you say, they come organically. That is so true. And the, these cards have value, right? Like, you can actually trade up on value on an amulet mm-hmm. of ice, which is freaking nuts because it's a zero-cost blue. Play out of Arsenal, gives your opponent a Frostbite, so already a piece of disruption there. And then later on, you can turn that amulet of ice into a card from your opponent at an opportune time. So you can obviously you can mm-hmm. turn that into a really, really good card, potentially. Uh, and also, at the same time, like you say, turns on the moon. So let's, uh, let's finish off talking about some strengths and stuff. Let's talk about matchups you're looking and i know you said you know easier to look at unfavorable than than uh favored matchups but if you're going to this pro quest season you're thinking you know icelander what are what is a meta that i'm going into where i'd be like iceland is my number one pick like what are the decks that you're like okay i'm expecting a lot of these decks so i this is a good field for icelander like what are the ones that come to mind like you you're playing iceland you sit down round one round two round three you get to pick your three pairings brennan yeah, so, I mean, there are some mashups that are just disgustingly Icelander favored. I think, like, the slower Olden decks and things like that. But if you're looking at a reasonable meta spread that you could expect at a ProQuest, like the upcoming ProQuest weekend, um, I think that you would probably expect a lot of Fi. And Fi for you is a good matchup, but it's not a great matchup. It's not fantastic. So, like, because they have Minoism and just how fast and aggressive the deck is, it, it feels like it's a bit harder than some of the, the aggro the aggro decks. So I would I would expect a lot of Fi, but it wouldn't prevent me from bringing the deck. Outside of that, you know, I'm I'm excited to play against Briar pretty much mm-hmm. uh, all the time. You know, excited to play against the Rangers. I'm excited to play against Kano. Uh, and then all the other decks that fall outside of these top meta decks, I feel like Icelander beats those decks the most. If a deck isn't, uh, at the forefront of the meta and just extremely powerful and very good at executing its own game plan. I feel like Icelander picks decks that don't do that apart. So if there's like, you know, there, there actually might be a lot of Bravo looking at the results, but I think about decks like Bravo, Katsu, stuff like that. If you just randomly run into one of those, Icelander just it feels like it outclasses those to me, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, I think Briar, like if, you, if you're, that's probably top of the list for me. If you're expecting a lot of Briar in your meta, that is top of the list for i think picking icelander because that matchup is it's really really tough for briar the 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 problem is and you can go back and you can actually watch the semi-final and the final of of uh, world championship if you want to see how this matchup can play out and be so and chris ayali played that final i thought really really well i know he makes one small mistake misses trigger but i think he plays the match from a strategic standpoint so so well as you'd expect from a world championship finalist but it's a good example of, of how to play the matchup from both sides, I think. And you just shows how much disruption hurts Briar with the things they're trying to do when they're trying to set up big turns, when they're trying to go wide. And, you know, I think with Fi, I mean, we can talk about that matchup a bit more. I, I don't, I, I think that matchup can be really uh, changeable. I think it can really depend on how the Fi sets itself up. I think it depends on both yeah. players' experience of the matchup. I think uh, it's not particularly a bad matchup for either side. I, I think it's one of those matchups that can be like a... I heard someone say this to me. I had no idea what it meant, but um, um, I can't remember who said it. One of the Polish players said it. It said 60-60 matchup, and I was like, I didn't really know what they meant. But like, you know, both sides felt like they're 60 turns in the matchup. I think it is one of those... That is one of those classic matchups, yeah. Icelander and Fire, to be honest. Yeah, the f- I feel like the Icelander deck doesn't feel draw-dependent frequently but against no. uh the five decks i feel like um okay. you definitely want to draw the right side of your deck you want to draw the clfs you want to draw the uh, disruption uh yeah that you can sort of have on demand in your arsenal draw the ice veins and 
stop the five from just basically running you over in like four turns mm -hmm. and that can't happen i think that's your biggest threat against phi if you stabilize and you and you land some of those uh more permanent disrupt disruption pieces like the clf or like an amulet which comes in on a you know a later turn where you main phase an aether ice vein and pivot um those are the games you win but um that that matchup does feel a bit higher variance but still i would pick uh i would say it's favorable for icelander to be honest yeah i think it's so I've, I've felt good on both sides of the matchup before. I felt bad on both sides of the matchup. So the the one thing I do want to point out with Icelander, I think outside of, honestly, outside of Briar and a couple of other decks, a lot of Icelander's matchups can feel super close because the deck has a really high skill cap. And, uh, you know, a couple of mistakes from the Icelander side can just massively turn the game in favor of yeah. the opponent really, really quickly. And you can't get it back because your life total is such an important resource as Icelander to build some of that board state whether it be like uh, for an important amulet turn you miss your window to get down insidious chill and now you're behind you all of a sudden can't arsenal the right cards because you've fallen behind on a, on a turn from a, a poor arsenal choice or something or playing the card on the wrong turn mm -hmm. it only takes a couple of these and all of a sudden the game is like out of reach so it is icelander is such an interesting deck from that standpoint the the matchup itself in a perfect world might be favored to icelander but it is you do have to play like near perfect all the time with Iceland, or at least you have to play it at the top of your game and, and be really versed with, with the lot the lines of play. It feels like a very delicate deck. Like <clears throat> like you said, the you get punished severely for mistakes um when playing Icelander, especially against the aggro decks and that's sort of why the learning curve is as steep as it is in the beginning i do want to talk about the bad matchups so stuff i really don't want to see we already i mentioned it a bit but jermai i think jermai is pretty bad matchup for Icelander. um it's winnable which is crazy right i think that jermai I, I think about jermai and i'm like oh worst case scenario i get paired against the jermai but it's actually winnable um especially with the attack action version which is probably the only version you should be running these days um but yeah hayden how is the matchup into your dash deck great question <clears throat> dash is i think a dash is another one of those matchups where it feels super tight and i think it's very very winnable for icelander i would say in general i think it's depending on how the dash dash deck is set up i think it's it's dash favored uh but again if the icelander you know you hit your hypothermia is when you need to see them you see a couple of good turns of channel like frigid you have you know a, a hard-hitting aether ice vein you'll run away with the matchup like it's not you know you you can win that matchup in handily but what i will say is that i think a lot of the dash decks we see out there right now have the right tools to be beating icelander they have this really aggressive sort of shell but they have access to pistol and chamber which i think is really important in their matchup and they have access to to items to you know on a, the most impactful thing with the turn a hypothermia turn or a channel like frigid turn is that you literally can't do much right you don't get much advantage from that turn you can maybe play one or two attacks the opponent can probably soak up the damage and then still be able to do the thing they wanted to do you know block with two cards play a wounded ball win the turn cycle handily but when you're able to do things like get permanent value and match some of the permanents that your opponent's playing on the Icelander side, like play a Tickler Core out or play a Tickler Pounder out or develop another, you know, maybe it's develop a, a Purifier or something, you, you do have tools to combat and sort of match pace with what the opponent's doing in terms of the Icelander player is doing in terms of gaining advantage in the game. So I do think that a lot of these current dash decks do have the tools. From my standpoint, testing the Hanabi Blaster dash deck that is up on um, the YouTube channel and on our, our deck guide on the Patreon, the i go to chamber and pistol for that matchup and feel quite good about it because you have this really aggressive boost package so you're still presenting a lot of damage you can take the game away from them really quickly you know a well-timed hypothermia channel like frigid particularly channel like frigid comes down a card like tickler core is 
really good against channel frigid. It can actually nullify the channel frigid almost entirely itself, which is uh, is really, really powerful as well. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's. I would say probably for most of the builds of Sandler, it's probably dash favored. But again, like, that matchup can be super super close because Icelander can basically win any frigging game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and lastly, to round out the matchups, I would just I also want to mention the mirror. The mirror is <clears throat> it's really tactical. Uh, it does feel. You might, it feels a bit high variance initially, right? Because you're does, like, oh, yeah. whoever starts landing their frost axes earlier. But I think that to chalk it up the variances, like, there's a lot, there's a lot more of that. Like, how you manage your Alluvian Constellus is probably one of the most important things in that game. Uh, I feel like the variance more comes from who's drawing the attack actions yeah, and, and not drawing three the of them at once. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So who's drawing the attack action? Those nice, juicy, three blue, one, one red attack action hands um, versus who's not, right? Who's drawing three of them, having to pitch some of them. Um, and it, but it does come down a lot to Alluvian Constellus and how, how that is managed. Really interesting anecdote that's totally uh, totally off topic. But the funny thing about Alluvian is if whoever lands the first Trox, Frost X, that will tick. You know, that, that actually threatens to tick at the end of the other... the the opponent's uh, Icelander's turn, right? And they can actually farm Alluvian off of it. Yeah. So your first Frost X is, like, really bad. So you want to get your second one out as soon as possible because your opponent will, like, farm infinite counters on you. Uh, but, yeah, the the mirror is definitely hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard. And I think that you're going to learn you're gonna learn, learn some lessons about uh, how, to, how to use Alluvian in that matchup pretty quickly after you get absolutely dismantled by opposing Icelanders. My takeaway from the mirror is the most important, like the cards that are going to determine the game outside of the play between the two players, like you said, the technical play. Like you said, it's the attack actions, it's Living Consalus, it's Energy Potion, and it's uh, Amulet of Ice. Those are the cards that to me were the most important cards in the matchup. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about just a couple other matchups. I I think Reiner is a matchup that can generally be unfavorable for Icelander, but also Reiner just can lose to itself in the game plan that I think you need to enact against Icelanders typically. Uh, I know Chandler's talked a lot about that with his winning deck from uh, the calling in in San Jose, but his list in particular I think plays quite well into Icelander because it has a lot of the same things Icelander's trying to do. It has even better rate attacks than the Icelander deck has, uh, and then also has this ability to farm action points, which is something that's really good against something like hypothermia um especially on a blood rush bellows turn i know a lot of icelanders will try and keep a hypothermia or a channel like frigid for that blood rush bellows turn and you know scabskins can wipe out that advantage so plus also when the these decks are trying to block two cards play two card hands right i can disrupt that so i do think that is that is another matchup that can be really tough for icelander um why don't we talk a little bit about i guess just a couple of reasons why you might not want to play icelander meta reasons uh gameplay reasons etc i think the, the top on the list is you just don't have the reps of the deck i think is probably a reason you'd really not want to look at icelander it can be super punishing like you're saying the first first few times you play it it can be a really hard deck to grapple with and it can actually be quite mm-hmm. demotivating i think taking this to an event and you know you miss a couple lines here and there like we say and those are super punishing and I would not advise just picking up Icelander cold. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a pun there. <laughs> <laughs> or hot. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be cold first. Um, yeah, so it is it is a slightly meta-dependent deck. I think that, like we talked about, it's good matchups against most heroes in Flesh and Blood. But um, yeah, if, if your meta is all Jermai um, and a bunch of these better dash decks then yeah you probably don't want to bring it um i would also 
move to say that if your if your local meta is all Icelanders and you aren't extremely comfortable in that matchup, you should definitely not bring Icelander because yeah, I mean your first your first few mirrors are going to be a huge learning process. They also they can take freaking forever. Um, like they can go to time, so it's going to be it's going to be a tough. It's going to be tough to grind through, you know, potentially six to eight rounds of um, of Icelander mirrors if that's what your local looks like. I, if that was the case, if we had a, you know, a significant amount of players at locals uh, at these PQs playing Icelander, then I think Jermai is like probably a good pick for you to be honest. But um, yeah, Icelander definitely good in the sense that it, it pretty much beats uh, or it's pretty much favorable into every hero in Flesh and Blood. But the ones that it's it's not favorable into. Um, it can be rough, right? You just can't. You just can't really interact with your mind. That stuff. The, the matchups can just be tough as well. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Prism when you talk about the mirror. Like there was a I, ProQuest season one. I played Prism for the first two ProQuests. I managed to win those two ProQuests, and then I knew heading to this third ProQuest, there was quite a lot of local Prism players at this event. And I was like, I'm just not playing Prism because I do not want to play Prism mirrors. I didn't feel particularly bad into them. I actually felt like I knew how to play the matchup pretty well, but I hated the matchup. I just didn't find it enjoyable, uh, despite it still being you know reasonably skill based. There is variant el- variance elements, and they can be really frustrating. Like you've you've played Iceland and Mirrors, right? You draw up your hand, and you're like, cool. I've got double wounded bull and uh, finals fighting spirit and a blue in my hand. Like I know I'm losing this turn cycle, and if my opponent can really push the advantage, I'm going to be like behind by two turn cycles potentially. So. I think just to riff off that, and a meta like if I was expecting a lot of dash, a lot of Icelander, and a reasonable amount of fire, I would not pick up Icelander and take it to my local ProQuest. I think I think I would probably look to play something else in that case. But you know, if I'm expecting a reasonable amount of Guardians as well, I'm expecting quite a wide meta as well. You know, like it's things could show up, yeah. brutes, rangers, etc. Mm-hmm. Like people might be making meta picks. Another good reason to play Icelander, uh, Briar in particular. You know, if there's expecting a lot of Briar. Um, yeah, so good, so good into those those more open metas because you just you will outclass um, anything that is doesn't like anything that isn't in the top five or isn't like a direct counter to you. Uh, yeah, Iceland is very good against those decks. Let's talk a little bit about how to attack Icelander, and you know maybe you're trying to pick apart some of its weaknesses if you're someone who is going to a meta full of Icelander as well. Uh, I think some just like tips and tricks I think for attacking Icelander is trying to make the disruption mean as little as possible so try and take it you know try and take advantage of the fact that they have to commit cards to disrupt you and make those worth as little as possible something example that comes to mind is going tall you know going taller can be more difficult i think particularly like the bravo matchup is like really interesting for me the Icelandic bravo matchup because the if it goes slower that's great for Icelander. but actually if bravo comes out of the gates with like really good pummel turns with this ability to just like go tall and and play even more above rate than the Icelander can they can be really tough for for Icelander to deal with i think that's the way you want to approach the matchup another example i think is like you're playing dash and you have in your hand a blue uh, a red zero to 60 and a red throttle play that throttle immediately present the most damage possible first so that your opponent has less uh less decisions effectively like they've they've gonna they're gonna have to face up the most amount of damage before they can disrupt you because say you played that zero to 60 and then all of a sudden they flip the channel like frigid it's like well now i can't even play the throttle in my hand i've just you know and i've traded down on two damage whereas the other way around you could present two more damage i think that's another way to to make that disruption as worth as little as possible i don't know if you have any other examples like that brennan yeah, well, so I, I have a lot of experience with the bravo matchup because i played bravo at that uh that battle hardened and then i played against it a lot so <laughs> Uh, and Bravo's popular now, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's 
we talk about Iceland, uh, you know, decks that want to draw the rice out of their deck, and Bravo is the, like, is just always bad. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but in that matchup, Bravo is just absolutely that deck. Like, it has to draw its big, tall attacks sort of back-to-back. It needs to draw them when it creates openings so that it can potentially dominate, right, to leak damage through. Because if you're just letting the, if, if the Icelander opponent is just blocking you and setting up a combo after, you know, p- poking a damage on your, let's say you have, like, like a very low percentage of off turns, like like twenty percent is like optimal. Like Icelander will still probably poke you enough to be able to combo you out. And then like for Bravo, it's the pummels are so important in that matchup. Like you have to be blowing out the opposing Icelander with pummels and catching them off guard. But yeah, I, I don't know. With, especially with some of the go again cards, like you need to you need to really account for the frostbite. And this 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 is sort of a a, a general. A general rule for all decks playing against Icelanders, like you need to be prepared for the frostbite. Sometimes you can't play around it, and that's fine. Um, but you sh- it should absolutely not be catching you off guard. So if you're doing something like uh, Rouse the Ancients into Anathos, like it's uh, Rouse the Ancients, if I recall correctly, is a two cost, and Anathos is a four cost. Like that's a very, very dangerous play mm-hmm. against an Icelander because they can easily frostbite you out of like doing almost nothing right just rouse the ancients that sucks Zell's belting, left i think is probably the card Zell, sorry yeah. zealous belting yeah sorry zealous belting is two costs rouse the ancients is the three costs mm-hmm. um but yeah like zealous belting is a common card that bravo adds in to be more aggressive right to be able yep. to have that go wide ability uh that go wide ability and yeah it's just you got to be you got to be aware of the frostbite and you you should probably be siding out cards like Cell Spelting into Icelander where the Frostbite just absolutely shuts down the turn yeah. um, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, also important on the aggro side to be aware of that Frostbite. Yeah, I'd massively agree. I think try and make, like we said, make the most of minimizing the disruption. So here's a good example. Let's use Bravo example because I think people can actually tweak their deck building to try and make Bravo, Bravo their Bravo deck more favorable because I do think Bravo is a reasonable pick for this progress season. So... If you wanted to do something like that, like a card that I'm surprised doesn't see much play is a card like Debilitate. Is that the card? The one that gives minus two attack yeah. for first attack. You have a card that you can play three card hands into your opponent where you can come in three to four card hands against your Icelander opponent where you come in for eight for four. So yes, you are paying three cards, but also you're playing these pummels in your deck, which is like the ultimate disruption against them. Or you have floating resources to deal with them playing instant speed and wanding. And if they don't two card block that, say they want a one card block it so they can come back in with their own wounded bull or whatever and arsenal a card or they you know they now don't have that option or they want to activate their want now they now don't have that option because if they don't block their wounded bull is now two for six so now they're trading down on value so i think that's a card in particular that works quite well against icelander and especially actually in this meta just when people are trying to play this more value-based game i think a card like that is is quite good so there's you can apply that example to lots of other decks and i think yeah just trying to maximize your damage on the first chain link is the most important thing like i think you've got to be really careful when you're playing a something like even dorinthia like playing a non-attack action first opens you up to disruption right so the, the more you can reduce that or play around it i think you you get advantage that way yeah, activating also. Yeah, activating Bravo, activating tectonic plating. I mean, the yes. seismic search pops gives them another priority on the following turn that they can play really tunic in that matchup, please. Yep. Yes, definitely play tunic. So another way that you can sort of combat Icelander, and I think this is not the most reliable way, but it is just raw damage and just mm-hmm. powerful aggro decks. Like uh, it is a deck that starts at thirty six health. Um, it does need like a cushion of life to do some of its most impactful plays. So a lot of Aether Ice Vein turns uh, consist of you taking damage from the opponent. So once you get the Icelander low enough, they're not, they're pretty much, they can't, uh, 
it do a big pivot if their ice fain turn on you while um, you know popping all the amulets. They'd have the arsenal that potentially ready their ice fain. So it, it's important to whittle their life down as fast as possible. I think you want to give um, Icelander as little room as possible to get set up. Because like we talked about, those those permanents just kind of organically <laughs> exist in the deck and they will absolutely wreck you. So yeah, the faster your aggro deck is, I do think that is more favorable against Isolator. That being said, um, the Phi deck, because it has access to Belittle and Minnowism, it has access to Blues and additional resources somewhat on demand, um, it's... It's my go-to for if I if I had to play an aggro deck into into Icelander, I would probably I'd probably pick Fi. Yeah, Fi dash for me. The other ones I want to say, just point out, uh, ability to generate extra action points is going to be super beneficial for playing around Hypothermia. Um, so you know, such as Scabs can let this earlier, and uh, you talked uh, blues. So Iceland has all these blues that get a lot of value. Decks that can also play blues that get value, I think, are really powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. I talked about Tickle Core earlier. The other thing as well is like on hit effects and breakpoints, especially into these Wounded Bull and and uh, Finders Fighting Spirit decks. You know they've got more two blocks. They want to try and keep two card hands. If you represent two breakpoint on hit effects in a turn, that is hard for for Iceland to deal with. And you might in the need to be able to sneak in one or two of those turns through. You know turns where they don't have a channel like frigid, turns they don't have a hypothermia, turns they didn't eat the ice venue. If you sneak one or two of those turns in, you can actually take the tempo from them and disrupt them pretty effectively. So um, yeah, those are other other ways to attack it. Why don't we round out talking about Icelander, Brendan, by just taking a look. I have a few, a couple of questions I want to ask you and then let's talk about some tips for playing Icelander. Uh, questions I want to ask you is attack action build, this, the Michael Hamilton build versus non-attack action focused versions, maybe things like Weathervane and stuff. Is there any debate about what sort of version you should be looking at at all? No, I don't think there's any debate. And I, I don't I don't think you should include uh freezing point or weather vane or any of this stuff. The weather vane case. Uh yeah, yeah, I, I you don't need it at all um <laughs> for the combo matchups and weather vane is not good enough in your mid range and your aggressive matchups to be played. The attack action, it just seems it just seems better at this point. Like uh that just feels like what Icelander is supposed to be doing because of how well it can utilize two card hands and then park a card in the arsenal and disrupt the opponent on their turn. Mm-hmm. It feels way better than just trying to aetherize vein the opponent every turn because that is, for one, high variance, and two, you usually have to take damage because you need a three card hand to aetherize vein them and fuse. So yeah, the attack action for me is just heads and shoulders above its sort of non, uh, non-attack action or spell, spell counterpart, um, and I don't think that there's... Uh, it's particularly close at this point. It's also underrated. Like what the attack actions do is fix Icelander's yep. biggest problem, which is having damage that's underrated. And so you you fix that problem, and now you have this super well-rounded disruptive deck that has great in-game. And now you've taken away the early to mid-game issues that it has with being underrated with its its damage to get to the in-game. Um, what about some? You know, if we look at Michael Hamilton's list from Worlds as an example, is there any changes you might make to this list? Based on the way the metagame shifted, Dynasty, would you look at a card? I know you just shook your head a little bit there for, for our video, uh, for the audio lesson story. One thing that kind of stood out to me is Michael doesn't play Exposed Elements. I know there's a card that's been talked about for the Mirror, uh, as well as for Ultim. Is that a card that, that you like, don't like? Yeah, so the, the hard part about Exposed is like it just becomes like the ultimate dead card as soon as the opponent has the energy potion. If you think you can mm-hmm. trade Exposed for an energy potion and that's a trade-up, then maybe you can argue to include it. But outside of that, it just like it feels a bit too fancy for the Icelander deck. Um, and it, it feels like it doesn't actually add power level um, and is a bit high variance at that. Like the energy potions... Um, 
like I can't remember if the yeah I mean, I'm pretty sure the constructed list runs energy potions. It does but, but Michael's only had two, so I was the only next card two. I had was I would probably be at three energy potion in this meta, I think. Yeah, but to speak to tweaking that list and trying to find a, <laughs> better cards and how it would change it, I've actually spent a ungodly amount of time doing that. <laughs> actually, um, so that I. Pretty much took ownership over the Icelander deck for a lot of our testing process. And if you look at my Fabry account, there's probably like 20, 30 <laughs> Icelander decks just in a row that are like small variations. I'm talking everything, right? Like these are like Frostfang, you know, more pummel, like you know, adding pummels, like uh, adding Emeritus Scalding, adding, um, uh, what is the, God, the card in Kano that we love? Um, Aether Wildfire. Yeah, adding Aether Wildfire. Like, I've tried so many things with the freaking Icelander deck. And unfortunately, I just come back to that list, uh, and the, particularly the list that Michael Hamilton played at Worlds. I had tweaked his US Nats, deck, uh, US Nats list to take out the extra Jermai tech, which was effectively all he changed um, uh, before. But that list he brought to Worlds is rock solid. Like and yeah, I, I have not found something that I could add in that, that made it consistently better, right? Um, like, I... The most, probably the the one that had the most um, performed the well the, the best for me was uh, Red Emeritus Scolding um, or something like that. So basically, you draw the Red Emeritus Scolding, you park it in Arsenal, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna cash in my uh, my Stormstriders for uh, seven damage uh, at any time. Really, kind of just on demand. I just think that you have to draw that card at the right time. <laughs> it's just a bit high variance. It feels good when you do do something with it, and it's like, oh, I got I got seven value out of my out of my. Um, out of my storm shot, it just feels great but overall nah that list is rock solid and if you're looking to pick up icelander for the pro quest season i absolutely think you should start there yeah the blue emeritus does a a, a really good impression of that and it's a blue card like the the, the reason yeah. this list is so good is it's it's just super consistent right i think there's things you could do that could increase the power level and reduce the consistency and that might be a viable option right depending on where the meta goes and that's probably things i would potentially look at so you talk about wildfire i think more energy potions maybe expose the elements card you look at maybe there's a lot of ultim i don't know uh there's also other things like we did at the pt and and blitz which was like we use cantrips to try and get through to the best cards in the deck other teams use like scolding rain in particular as like another source of a blue card out of arsenal that block three i wasn't a bigger fan of that and i think constructed it translates a little bit differently um but i do i do think there's there is potentially some options options out there yeah, and to talk about Dynasty, there doesn't seem to be any cards out of Dynasty that slot into that um, that Icelander deck at this made. moment. Yeah, I would just say nothing's ever solved, I think, you know, because mm -hmm. the game is always evolving, the metagame's always evolving. So when people say, oh, the hero's solved, it's never solved. Yes, I agree, the, the Icelander build for Michael is very, very well-rounded, and it does something consistently good and, and at a high level consistently doing it. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be solved. I think Michael would admit that himself, right? You know, he, he made at least some changes between uh, what we saw in US Nationals and in the World Championships. And I'm sure if he went to an event this weekend to, you know, and was testing extensively, he would probably make some more changes. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm ha you kind of jog my memory there too. Uh, the Icelander deck does have room for you to tech for your local meta. I, I don't think that there's a lot of tech cards you can add in the Icelander that are like, okay, it's going to increase my fly match or anything like that. But you can definitely tech for Jermai. You can add more poppers. Um, you can potentially add some Zero Forest, stuff like that. If you're really concerned with killing dragons, you could explore the possibility of trying to fatigue Jermai as well. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's options uh, that you can change up that deck list a little bit to Snatch, make it better. Snatch is a good card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one as well is I think Michael played too hypothermia if you're expecting dash in your meta 
just play through hypothermia for play through play through yeah, yeah. yeah. uh let's end off any kind of tips for playing icelander that we haven't really covered uh you you know turn cycles playing two card hands is like a really big part of what you should be doing with icelander the like i say storm is an in-game thing parking the correct cards in arsenal i think you want to identify what those are and you give a matchup mm-hmm. and getting caught with the wrong card in arsenal can be really punishing there's some matchups yep. where you don't want arsenal red attack actions for instance there's some matchups where you don't want arsenal frost hexes ever because paying two cards to get a card yep. out of your arsenal is dreadful things like that yeah so just kind of look back at the deck's core philosophy and why it was created in the first place and that was um to sort of play two cards hands right and get more just get a higher quantity of value than your opponent like, uh, turn by turn while utilizing your disruption elements uh it one thing to note and i guess we haven't said it on this podcast yet is that if you are playing the Fandal's fighting spirits and the um wounded bull and lightning strike attack action version you the ideology behind a card specifically like wounded bull which doesn't have a ability to block i mean it blocks inefficiently right um is that if you're blocking with that card, you're losing the game. There is corner cases, right? If your opponent Arsenal, say, Sink Below and is playing an Icelander as well, um, not. But you you shouldn't be blocking with those cards. Fandal's Fighting Spirit, you should only really be blocking with it if you're under uh, under the opponent's life total and you're able to gain the extra life. Like, those single points of damage, right? Whether it's, you know, you getting the plus one on your, your Wounded Bull because you're attacking from lower life or your Fandal's Fighting Spirit's blocking for three, really, really important. Um, Wounded Bull definitely can be used as a 3 for 7 as well. But yeah, Icelander is a deck that kind of usually will manipulate its life total so that it can play from behind um, and get all those additional benefits out of its cards. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the last thing I want to say on just general tips and strategy for playing Icelander is the biggest mistake I see in people losing games with Icelander the most is they just have the wrong understanding of what the card is doing in the matchup or they uh, play the card in the wrong spot losing value. So one in particular is playing Aether Ice Vein when it has very minimal impact. Uh, try, you know, pushing out a Blizzard when their opponent has access to resources and they, they know this because of the way they've pitched. They've, they've pitched a blue to play at one cost and they've still got two cards in hand. You know, there's things like this. What else could that Blizzard have done? Could it have pitched to play the card in Arsenal, for instance? These are all things I think that you... Uh, these are things you learn as you play get more reps and that's why i say a deck that you want to get the reps in if you want to consider playing this for pro quest season uh because it is is super punishing and you won't realize the mistake until either you know you make it once twice three times and see the end result or someone points it out and you just you need the learnings i think so um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so uh, the last one for me is just that Icelander is is a wizard, so it is um, it does depend heavily on creating windows. That's effectively what you're doing when you're playing these big attack cha- actions during your main phase, right? You're attacking for eight physical damage. Your opponent puts two cards in front of it. Not only has two cards to work with on their turn, which presents significantly less of a threat to you, uh, being the defending player, but also opens you up to deal damage to them on their turn because they cannot pay for Arcane Barrier. That's really what Wizard does at the end of the day. Um, you know, <laughs> some people will ask us what happens when people have the perfect scenario to block all of the arcane damage <laughs> but that just doesn't happen right because wizard wizard is built around tempoing the the opposing player out of their cards yeah out of their cards and then uh exploiting that on their own on the opposing player's turn yep yeah and that's i mean the, the point of playing a deck that's flexible like this and has multiple game plans is you get to take advantage of the best situations for you oh okay your opponent is playing super defensively never leaks arcane damage and you know plays 45 blues cool you get to trade up on damage because they can never present damage you know what i mean so there's there's always and you have an inevitability with ice vein in game there's always things to be done so it's just about recognizing what it is in any particular matchup Mm -hmm. 
I think that's going to do it for the first of our series, hitting into the ProQuest, calling Battle Hardened Season, the Dynasty competitive season. This one looking at Icelander, a deck that we both think is both incredibly powerful, but also a good option for this upcoming Dynasty season, but one that you do want to get a lot of experience with. I think, like you say, we talked about win rates and stuff for Icelander, and a big contributor to that is familiarity with the deck and, uh, and understanding of the deck. So, you know, hopefully this helps both players potentially looking to play it and players looking to combat Icelander in their local meta or any events that you are heading to. Brendan, anything else you want to add before we close out episode 91 of Arsenal Pass? No, I think that that was a good overview of Icelander. I do think that it's the most powerful uh, deck in Flesh and Blood right now. Um, There are some considerations that you should take into account before bringing it to a pro quest. And, um, you know, the meta does matter. It is not completely agnostic to the meta. But there really hasn't been a deck in Flesh and Blood's history that does what Icelander does as seamlessly as it does it, right? Everything just flows together almost perfectly. Um, The deck can compete on on almost every axis that exists in this game. And I think that it's an incredibly rewarding uh, deck to play, uh, both in terms of your individual journey as a player, getting better at the deck, but also in terms of results, which you finally do get good with the deck. Um, so I'm particularly interested in myself to see how it converts and how well it does during this season. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Cool. That's going to do it for episode 91 of Arsenal Pass. If you do want to take a look at our YouTube channel, Arsenal Pass, we've just put up some new deck techs and uh, there are some guides over on the Patreon if you're looking for full sideboard guides deck guides everything for the deck text that we have put up on the channel brendan has another one coming this month as well with a special guest follow us over on twitter brendan apg over there and fian underscore dale over here check out brendan's new podcast the snapshot uh give the man some support for especially if you play marvel snap you should definitely go check it out i will be listening after this podcast but that's all for this week until next week we'll see you next time see y'all